Um, this is interesting, uh, and I like to call it out when it happens. Uh, Eric said, um, so my original, I was originally going to take this heavy theme of uh, waiting in Acts 28, and then I kind of drifted away from that theme throughout the week, and so we didn't re- we're not going to really land there. But it's so interesting that, um, and Eric, I don't think you knew this, but uh, you read out of Isaiah to start the service. Well, that's where I took the, the, the right turn towards Isaiah in Acts 28. You know, uh, so that's really cool. That's really cool. So I, I hope you see some connections throughout the service, whether intentional or not. I, I think that's really cool. Um, so uh, I'm excited for you to hear, uh, hear this, these verses and see what happens. Okay, so um, here's where I want to start, though. Uh, we had an awesome service last week. Uh, in the park. Thank you for all that made that happen, that, that came out and helped set things up, that served. Uh, thank you for coming out and supporting us in the community. Uh, it was really awesome. Beautiful day. Um, what a thing. Uh, this message is the final one uh, in the book of Acts that we're doing. I think we started this in February, so this is like, this is it. This is the conclusion. So I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week... <clears throat> Last week, Paul was shipwrecked, and after a snake bite and a clean bill of health, he gets off the island, and he's on his way to Rome. He is under guard. He's not a free man. He's going to stand trial before Caesar, and on the way, he arrives, and he almost has his own sort of Palm Sunday triumphal entry experience. Now, of course, Acts doesn't make that, it doesn't make that big of a deal out of it, except to say, Luke says, that people are traveling from far away to greet Paul. Roman Christians want to see him. Because, and I think it makes sense because three years earlier, he wrote this amazing, historic letter that we, that we still try to dig into and find out what it all means. He wrote the book of Romans three years earlier. This is a people that had not seen Paul, but had heard about him, had read about him, and now he's coming to them on trial, under guard. Here he is, the apostle, in chains. And so they show up, a whole bunch of them show up, to welcome him to Rome. Here he is. And and if it's anything like I would think, I'd show up and I'd be like, hey, Paul, I got some questions about this book you wrote us, this letter. You know, I've got to know, what did you mean by the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? You know, tell me about Romans towards the end there at chapter 9 as we would know it. Tell me more about, I mean, I would have had the questions, but they all show up to greet him. He is taken to a little house he can live in that he's renting on his own, because apparently he has some funds to do that. He is still under guard. There's still a Roman soldier that guards him. But he has a level of freedom. And so the first thing he does, as he arrives in Rome and he's welcomed by the believers, the next thing he really does is he invites Jewish leaders to see him. And the Jewish leaders come to him and they, I think this is brilliant, I think it's beautiful, I think it's theological, because you know Romans says, 
The gospel's for the Jew first and then the Greek. Remember that verse? And so he intentionally invites in the Jews first. He defends his faith first with them, and they come to him, and he, they kind of want to know, like, what, what do you know about me already? You know, like, what have you heard about me? You know, and, and they say, we don't know anything about you. Like, we, we've heard about this sect called Christianity or, or the way, but we don't know about you. And so I don't know if the Jewish leaders were, you know, just being nice at that point. Like, no, we never heard about you, Paul. We don't like this guy. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if they knew or, or, or what was going on, but they said, we don't know who you are. And so Paul laid out who he is, and he laid out his message, and some of them were convinced. Others were not. But on Paul's heart was the 10 to 60,000, we're not sure how many, 10 to 60,000 Jewish people that live in Rome. His heart was for them. And he was hoping this meeting of the leaders might lead to the conversion of thousands of his brethren in Rome. And what he found were that, again, that some were convinced, many were not. And so he gave them a prophetic word from the book of Isaiah. Maybe that's the Isaiah connection. Did you, did you read that and think Isaiah? You didn't think that? Okay, okay. Holy Spirit did. Okay, okay. He gives them a word from Isaiah as they're leaving. And even as the service opened today with a word of judgment, Paul gives a word of judgment to those Jewish people that ends up being really good for us Gentiles. Would you go to Acts 28? If you need a Bible, there should be one right in front of you. Acts chapter 28, this is the conclusion. Okay. Acts 28... All right, let's do uh, verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. This is the Jewish people. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. From this people's heart, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know, that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. That's us. And they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. Can I take you to Isaiah, this famous passage that Paul quotes? Would you go back to Isaiah, Old Testament, and go to Isaiah 6? We're going to jump around a little bit today. I want you to see this word that Paul gave for the Jewish leaders. We're going to go to Isaiah 6 
9-13. This is a very well-known passage in Isaiah. Isaiah is interesting because Isaiah starts out with these prophecies against Israel. And historically, a couple of things you've got to know. Uh, there's, Israel's been divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Isaiah is ministering and prophesying to Judah, the southern kingdom. Because the northern kingdom's already fallen. God's already judged them. And the judgment on Judah is coming in the form of the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar, you know that name. Judgment's coming for the southern kingdom. And Isaiah is commissioned to give a message to the Jewish people, to, to the southern kingdom. And it's interesting because you read the first part of Isaiah and, and he starts prophesying, but his calling doesn't come till chapter 6 when God says, I want you to go. <clears throat> so this is a famous passage. Isaiah is in the throne room of God. He sees the Lord on the throne. It's when he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. God cleanses his mouth and sends him to the people. Who, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. I'm available. I will go. Now, this is what God tells him to say. Verse 9, God said, he said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now that is a downer of a message. I mean, come on. You've just seen the Lord on the throne and you've just had this crisis of like, I've said a lot of stupid things in my day. And then God cleanses your mouth with a live coal. And he says, who's going to go for me? And you realize, it's me. I'm going to go. What's the message? The message is, listen to me, but don't understand me. See me, but don't perceive it. Don't. It's not going to work. You're not going to like the message. You're not going to hear the message. You're not going to accept the message. That's your message. Okay. You know. I've never stood up on a table in my high school cafeteria and said, you're going to go to hell without Jesus. That's it. Word from the Lord. You know, I, I don't even like those kinds of messages. You know, I, I'm not the fire and brimstone guy. I think, I think sometimes people say I get into that a little bit. It kind of, I think preachers kind of trend into that a little bit, but I don't think I do that a lot. That's a tough message. So Isaiah asks the only normal thing a person would ask in that situation. He says, for how long, O Lord? How long do I got to give that message? Are they ever going to get it? And, and I think the answer is kind of like, for the rest of your life, you know. Um, th- this is it. And God answered, he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, and the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, again it will be laid waste, but as a terebinth and oak, leaves stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Now, God says, you're going to be given this doom and gloom message, and no one's going to listen to you, by the way, just to so you know, no one's going to hear you out, and it's going to, you're going to do that until I judge these people and their cities will be totally ruined. Now get out there and go, go team, you know, let's go. All right, ready, let's go. Um, the life of a prophet, you know, like it's not what you, it's not glamorous, is it? Um, but I, I, even through all the doom and gloom, I see something amazing here. Do you see it? 
God compares Israel to the stump of an oak. God's like, I am chopping this tree down. Cities are going to be laid waste. People are going to die. Babylonians are coming. Nebuchadnezzar's not a nice guy. I'm going to chop things down. But in the oak, he says, there is a holy seed. Something's going to grow out of this. In verse 13, he calls it a tenth. A tenth. You know what a tenth is, right? It's what we did earlier today. A lot of you gave a tithe. A tithe. God's like, my people are worshiping idols. But there's going to be a 10% that don't. That remain faithful to me. 10% of the Jewish people, they're a remnant. They're a remnant. They're, they're a piece that's going to keep worshiping me. Okay, keep that in mind. We're going to keep rolling here. I want you next to see Isaiah chapter 11. Or No, let's see. What do I want you? 8? No, 11. Yep, I want you in 11. 1 and 2. This is also a famous passage. You've heard this. You know this. Now put Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 11 together, and you're seeing something develop here. Isaiah 11. This is a messianic passage. It predicts the Christ. It predicts the coming Messiah to the Jewish people. And it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. And and then there's the rest there. Um, Listen. Out of this dead stump, there is still a faithful people that's coming up. And more than that, there is a branch coming out of death. You look at these people and you say, they're done. God is done with them. He's wiping them out. He's chopped them down. And yet here it is. A branch is coming up. The Messiah, the Christ, out of the dead stump of the oak, the Christ has come. Now keep that in mind. And the Christ does come. Jesus does come. The Messiah is here. And what does He say? Okay, well, follow me here. Next passage. Go to Luke 8. Luke 8. Some of you are waiting for me to land the plane. I will. I will land the plane, but not yet. Luke 8, 5. Luke 8, 5. Another famous passage that you probably all know. So we're connecting dots here this morning. Luke 8, 5. Jesus loved to speak in parables. He liked to tell very normal, common, everyday stories that had deep spiritual truth embedded in them. And so Jesus says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up around with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. That's a parable of the sower. You know that parable. A lot of you do. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. Now where's that from? That's Isaiah 6. 
Like Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, just like Paul does after, and says, these people are going to see, but they're not really going to see. They're going to hear, but they're not really going to understand. That's why I'm talking in parables. Now, some people say, I've had this said to me, some people say, Jesus used parables because they were stories, and, and if you tell stories, everybody can get it. Everybody can understand it. But that's the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying. If you, if you read it, he says, they're not going to get it. Verse 10, the knowledge has been given to you, but not given to other people. That's why, this is verse 10, that's why I speak in parables, so that those seeing, they may not see. Parables obscure truth for those that are too hard-hearted, too hard spiritually to go there. Look, I like being understandable when I preach. I think Jesus, I don't think this is a call for preachers to make things really hard to understand, just so you know. But I think Jesus, the great judge, is giving words of judgment to his people Israel and giving them parables, right? And he's saying, you people that, that your hearts are so hard to the things of God, I'm going to tell you stories and you're not going to get it. But my people, the people whose hearts are soft, they're seeking me. They're going to get it. They're going to understand. Would you have understood the parable of the sower without Jesus explaining it in verse 11 and following? Would you have totally gotten that perfectly? Well, no. Like, I would need a little more explanation. And Jesus gives the explanation. Now, some parables he doesn't explain, right? He, he just kind of says, kingdom of God is like this. It's like a pearl, you know? And, 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 the guy's, and the guy's looking for the pearl of great price. And he sells everything he has so he can get the pearl. And it's kind of like, if you know Jesus and you know salvation, you can start looking at that parable and understand it because you know salvation. I, I think that's the point. If you think a lot about the gospel, you can understand those parables because they're all about the gospel. But the sower is like, oh my goodness, that is, that is like heavy stuff. And so Jesus gives the explanation. Well, in the first, there's, there's four different kinds of soil. The seed is the word of God. The word of God goes out. Just like Isaiah was sharing the word of God with people. And there's three different kinds of soil that's like it doesn't work. It's not taking root. You're going to share with people and it's like they're going to hear and like a bird comes along and just takes the seed. That's like the devil plucking that thought out of your mind. It's just gone. And my point is not really to share about all these difficult soils, because we all know people like that, but my point is to share soil number four. That one says, verse 8, Some seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. And then Jesus quotes Isaiah 6. Though hearing they may not see, though, though, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Now put all that together. What is soil number four really referring to? The holy seed, the remnant in the oak. People that listen to Jesus' words and receive them are soil number four, and they are the remnant. They are the tithe. God says, I'm taking 10%. Those people are mine. That's soil number four. Right out of Isaiah 6. Okay. I'm not landing the plane yet. Uh, Paul is talking 
to the to the Jewish people and he quotes Isaiah. I, I, I'm giving you the truth and you're not hearing it. You're not understanding it. And then uh, when you look at Romans, I think this is the last one I'm going to show you, and then then we'll stick and we'll stick back in Acts. Romans eleven seventeen. Last one we'll do. Some of you love cross references, like you study that way, and this is probably like the most refreshing thing you've ever heard, right? Like you love like the oh this is this and this compares to this and this. Yeah, some of you are like oh man, all right. Uh, Romans eleven seventeen. <clears throat> you there? Romans eleven seventeen. Uh, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, that's the Gentile people, <clears throat> though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to the other branches. If you do, consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. We'll stop there. So, Paul is saying, you Gentile people, you are grafted in to that shoot coming out of the stump. You see now? Jewish people cutting down the tree. There's a little little bit of life coming up. And then Jesus, the branch, is coming up out of that. And grafted into those people, the remnant, the 10%, grafted in are you. You're in. You're coming off of that dead stump of a people. You're God's people. Okay. And he says, don't be proud of it. Like, you're not supporting this whole thing. Uh, Christ is supporting this whole thing. All right. Now, I love listening to leadership talks, leadership conferences, And I heard a great one recently about church growth. I've heard a lot of conference talks about how to grow the church. How to get people to show up. How to get people to stay. What do you got to do? I heard an excellent one recently. I'm not going to name names. But I took notes and I thought, this is so, like, this is a church that exploded with numbers. And they were sharing, what do we got to do, you know, uh, and it wasn't like copy ABC. It was more like, it was more like a posture, an attitude towards certain things that you have to have as a church. And I wrote a lot of stuff down. It's probably the, one of the one of the great, one of the great leadership messages I've heard. Except that missed an ingredient. And I think I, I see this missing ingredient all over the place. And it really kind of turned my whole thinking when I realized I didn't see it there. I didn't hear. God causes growth. God causes growth. I mean, I've read about churches that give their pastors bonuses based on attendance. I mean, I've read the stories. I've read about churches that employ, uh, uh, what do you call them, intern evangelists based on the fact they can get a couple couple people a week to receive Christ. And if they can't find anybody, they'll get somebody that can find a couple people a week. To receive Christ. And I've seen the big numbers. And I'm not anti-big numbers. I actually grew up in a larger church in Peoria, Illinois. I'm not anti-big numbers at all. But I am anti an attitude that we can get this done ourselves. We can grow the church. If we do everything right, boom, it happens. Get the right pastor. Get the right whatever. 
get the right strategy, get the right program, get the beautiful sanctuary, it'll work. If you build it, they'll come. I want to talk about evangelism and church growth and just give three kind of concluding points on what I see coming out of this stump shoot coming up. What do I see going on here? What is the Lord trying to say to us as a church? I'll give you three things to think about. Number one, some people have a perception problem. Other people have a knowledge problem. Okay? Some people you know, let's do the knowledge first. Some people have a knowledge problem. Some people have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know that Jesus died on a cross for their sins. And until they hear that life-saving message, they, they, they cannot be saved. They've got to hear. We've got to tell them. There's a knowledge gap there. But I think, increasingly, again, in our country, there is an exposure to the gospel in many places. And people have a perception problem, just like the days of Isaiah. They've heard it. They know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And even though they hear it, they don't really understand it. They don't perceive it. They haven't taken it in and made it personal. But they've heard it a million times. They can quote you maybe some Romans verses out of it. And I think it's good when we're talking to people to understand, who am I talking to today? Do they need to, they're going to need to hear the gospel again anyway. But is there a knowledge gap or is there a perception gap? And the only way I know to deal with the perception gap, I think, is you keep sharing, but, but you've got to pray. You've got to pray. Because they're seeing it but not understanding it. They're hearing it but not perceiving it. What? What do we do but pray? But we need a better strategy. That's what we need. Like if we, if we get the perfect strategy, then they'll, then they will perceive. No. They just don't get it. They're like one of the first three soils. What are you going to do? When I look at Isaiah and, and, and the way I read it, you know, I don't know if it rubs you the way it rubs me the wrong way. In some ways it's like they, they, they hear, but they can't understand. They can't. It's kind of like the language is like it's not going to work. It can't happen. And you're like, what do I do with that? And I think theologians do one or two things with that idea. You could look at God's sovereignty and say God is not letting them see. He's not letting them understand. Or you could say God is judging them because they've hardened their hearts so much. God is just saying, no more, you're not going to get it now. You're just not, you've hardened so much to me, you're not going to get it. You know what that tells me? Either way you look, I, I, I kind of see elements of both there. Just, just, that's just me. I see sovereignty and I see judgment when I read Isaiah 6. I see God saying, go Isaiah, but they're not going to hear you out. I'm sure of it. It's going to happen that way. And I also see they've hardened so much to me like Pharaoh. Ever read the story of Pharaoh? And the first few times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart to Moses. And then you get like a few times later and it says God hardened his heart. You're like, which one was it, Pharaoh or God? And you're like, yeah, exactly. Pharaoh and God. There's a hardening there. Okay? I, I, I see both. That, that's how I read it. But i, I got to say, if you're here this morning and you've heard this message before, Jesus loves you, died on the cross for your sins, repent of your sins, it is a dangerous thing to keep saying no. No, no, not doing it hardening. It's a dangerous thing to say that. 
Because remember, Jesus said, the one who knows the Master's will and doesn't do it receives a worse beating in the next life. That's, that's like serious. And that, that's all I can say. It's super serious. In some ways, you could say parables are like a mercy. Because at least the parables were like, I don't get it, and you just walk away home. At least it's not like this clear, I love you, you know, Jesus saying, I'm di- I died on the cross for you. Oh, no, no thank you. I don't, I don't want that. Like, that is serious. That's why we pray like crazy for people to receive Christ, for God's light to shine through into the dark places, for, for, for the hardness of the heart to be replaced with the heart of flesh. That's why we pray. Um, okay. Number two. Our best evangelistic efforts might not yield huge numbers, but God will reserve a remnant, a tithe to himself. Isn't like that the most hopeful thing right there? It, it, Christianity will never be extinguished. It's not going to happen. God already said it's not going to happen. There will always be a remnant. Now, I've been through a time of revival in my life in high school where I saw a large group of people giving their lives to Christ. Some of you maybe have been through a revival where you've seen God's Spirit come across the people in a powerful way and large numbers have responded. You know? Oh, yeah. I'll take as much of that as the Lord gives. I'll pray for that. But I also need to be okay with slow growth. It, it, it's the growth of the little shoot out of the stump. It, it's, not, it's not growing into a huge tree overnight. But it's on the way. It's a tent. It's on the way. So never you can never get down and say, well, there's not enough. There's not, you know, it, there needs to be more. What, 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 you know. um, now notice I also said our best evangelistic efforts. I'm not saying we can throw strategies out the window. Like, do your best. Be all things to all people, to quote Paul. You know, let's do our best efforts. Let's have a, you know, let's have the lakeside service. Let's do those things. Let's give them our best. But understand, ultimately, God gives growth. He reserves a tithe. He's going to save people. He's got a tenth. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends out workers. He's going to have a harvest for himself. And, and normally, I think normally, the growth comes slowly. And that's okay. Let's grow the church slowly. All the while, I'm still going to pray for a revival to sweep through the North Woods, and I'd love to see us say, how are we going to fit all the people in here? Let's go to two services. Exactly. You've heard me pray that before. Let's fill this place with lost people. But not at the expense of saying, Lord, you're, you're the God of growth, and we lean on you for that. And finally, with great patience, we can and must reach the remnant. We've got to reach the remnant. We don't know who they are. There's no big R on their forehead. You're the remnant. I found one, you know. Uh, you're the 10%. Well, I'll get 10% tattoos, okay? You know, that's what we're going to do. Um, it, like, like it, it doesn't work like that. Like, you don't know who the remnant is. But, but if you share with 10 people in the last year, and, and one of them is actually listening a little bit and thinking about it and talking a little bit. Awesome! You know, it doesn't have to be a literal 10%, but, but like one in 10 would be awesome. Just one person to have a conversation and like really be thinking about it. And, and, and you're watering the seed, planting the seed, watering the seed. Let God do the growth. 
Let's reach the remnant in the North Woods. Let's do that. Let's do that. Because God knows who they are. God God softens hearts. Let's pray for the softening. Let's pray that they would receive Christ. In application, in conclusion, I want you to look at Acts 28 one more time. And I want you to look at the last two words. I think Acts ends in an interesting way. It doesn't end with the Apostle Paul being beheaded by Emperor Nero, as history tells us. Um, People debate, did, did Paul eventually get out of that house and keep ministering? We don't know for sure. I, I kind of think he did. I think at a later time he got himself in trouble and Emperor Nero ended his life, you know. I imagine he got out of this place. But I just want to, I want you to see the last couple words. <clears throat> and I'll give, them, I'll give you the Greek words here. I, I won't quote the Greek words, but I'm just going to tell you what they are. Okay, verse 30. For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, not every translation puts it like this, but I just want to call out the last two words of the book of Acts. The last two words are boldness and unhindered. Those are the last two words Luke chose, inspired by God, to put in the book of Acts for us. Bold and unhindered. And I'm just thinking about those words and I'm thinking, boldness is what happens inside of me. Unhindered is what happens outside of me. Right? Like, God is the God who gives me the boldness to speak about Jesus to people, to ask them questions about their spiritual life. Just to bring things up. You want to go to church with me this Sunday? Like, He gives us the boldness for that. He's doing a work in us. The last word of Acts are words for you. Because you're not confined to your house. You've got an advantage over Paul. You know, you can get out there. Boldness. But the other word is unhindered. And often the things that we think hinder us are actually what God is using to make the gospel unhindered. Paul, I'm going to stick you in this house and you can't leave. Really? That's okay. Everybody's going to come to you. Oh, okay. Awesome. Paul, you're going to be shipwrecked. I don't want to be, you know, who wants to be shipwrecked? It's all going to advance the gospel. Paul, you're going to go on trial being falsely accused. What's up with that? Well, being falsely accused is going to end up sending you to Rome where more people can hear the gospel. Oh, okay. It's unhindered. The gospel can't be stopped. God won't let his gospel be stopped. The question is, will you take this gospel with boldness and being unhindered and share it? Let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Father, we are here to be used by you. I love these last two words in the book of Acts that Luke gave us. I love that it ends kind of in an anticlimactic way because the story's not finished yet. The, it's, the book hasn't been written yet. The Lamb's book of life is still being fulfilled. And there's still names that have not been reached yet. And we get to do that. We get to help fill in that that's already been written from eternity past in your book. Oh, that we get to help. That we get to continue the work of the church bold and unhindered. May that be. May it be in our relationships 
May it be in our neighborhoods. May it be with our people. May we go. And may we know that even the, even the hard things often end up being unhindered. The gospel being able to go out more freely because of the hard things. You're so good. You're so good. We're thankful to be part of the remnant, part of the branch that was grafted in. We're glad to be part of your people. May we find more of the remnant. In Jesus' name, amen.